You may be seated. Last week we looked at verses 3 through 14 of Ephesians chapter 5, and there the Apostle Paul instructs us to do these two things, renounce the darkness that is in our past and is all around us today, and walk as children of light. And the question that is before us today is, how do we go about doing that? I am convinced that there is no way that I can muster up enough ability within myself, enough courage within myself, enough power within myself to renounce every vestige of darkness that is in this world and that might be in my life and then turn and in my own power walk as a child of light. There is no way that I can do that. And I have this news for you today. There's no way that you can do that either. And so are we left just simply hopeless in living the Christian life? And the answer is absolutely not. Because after Paul instructs us in verses 3 through 14 of chapter 5 to renounce darkness and walk as children of light, he comes now to verses 15 through 21, and for our purposes today, primarily verses 15 through 18, and he calls us to walk wisely and be spirit-filled. And that's the answer to how we are able to renounce darkness and walk as children of light. Let us pray. Father, as we come to this passage of Scripture, as we attend to your word this morning, we ask, O oh God, that you would open our hearts, that you would open our eyes, our minds, that you would make us very tender-hearted towards your word, and that God the Holy Spirit, that you would do according to the promises of God in applying the very Word of God God to our hearts. And so we ask for it, O God. Bring your Word to bear upon us this very hour and change us, mold us, conform us, renew us in and to the Word of God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 15. I'll read the entire passage, 15 through 21, but I'll be preaching primarily through 15 through 18 today. We'll save verses 19 through 21 until next week. Paul says in verse 15, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And as we've considered this passage of Scripture, we'll look at two things, walking wisely and being filled with God the Holy Spirit. The Greek philosopher Socrates is credited with writing this, the unexamined life is not worth living. 
Now, the Apostle Paul doesn't go quite that far, but what we can gain from what Paul says in this passage of Scripture is that the unexamined life is foolishness. So today we'll be looking first at walking wisely. And Paul is so emphatic about walking wisely that that he begins, verse 15, with a command in the imperative in the Greek, which always means that what is said is a command. And here's the command, look carefully. Look carefully then how you walk. And notice that Paul says, look carefully then. Then points us back to what he has just said in verses 3 through 14. In light of what I have commanded you to do, renounce darkness and walk as children of light, now I command you, look carefully at your life. Be circumspect about how you are living. Take stock about your behavior. And the reason for this what I would see as a, as a hypervigilance to uh, be circumspect about how we live is verse 16, because the days are evil. And we certainly saw this in verses 3 through 14 as, as Paul begins to help us understand what the darkness really is and especially what characterizes the darkness of this fallen world, sexual immorality. And we would say today, truly, the days are evil. And so, if anyone is wanting to renounce darkness and walk in the light, then one must first and foremost look very carefully at how they are living to see where there might be darkness And then one needs to walk as light. So how are we to be circumspect? How are we to walk wisely as Paul has commanded us to do, to look carefully at at our lives? And there are two ways in this text. The first of two is given in verses 15 through 16. Look carefully then how you walk. And here's the first way, not as unwise, but as wise. Jim read from Proverbs 2 about wisdom. And true wisdom then, as as Paul would understand it, leads us to be circumspect about our lives. Those deemed unwise by by Paul are, are likely those who have all sorts of wisdom. They have all sorts of knowledge. They have all sorts of insights. But it's about this world, and it's about their worldly existence. They may be worldly wise, but they lack godly wisdom. Insights and knowledge and understanding about who God is and what He has said, what He has revealed, and how He calls us to live. In fact, we would say that the foolish could care less about God. They could care less about godliness. They're unconcerned about God's will. Theirs is an unexamined life in this respect. They are uncritical, unconcerned 
about the darkness that has overtaken them. In fact, they would avoid any action or any occasion that might press them to examine their life in light of what God has revealed. But those deemed wise, however, look carefully at how they live before men and before God. Theirs is an examined life, a life under the microscope, as it were, a, a life before the grand and great inquisitor, a life that is concerned with the quality of one's physical and spiritual life. Their concern is to know every, every speck, every part that is dark in their lives to repent of it and by God's grace to walk as light to honor God not only in what they think and what they understand but in their very behavior and the wise as Paul states in verse 16 make the best use of the time and what do we make of verse 16? Making the best use out of the time. And what I would suggest is that wisdom, in other words, moves one not to wait until some problem or some failure has developed in our lives, and then we look carefully at what has gone wrong. No, Paul says to make the best use of every day, every moment, by evaluating your life, continually scanning your life. We all have antivirus software on our computers. If you don't, you should. We have all this malware software and all of this stuff that is constantly scanning in the background to identify any threat, to alert us to it, to put it in a quarantine section to, to, to safeguard us from the dangerous effects of viruses and malware and such. And this is exactly what the Apostle Paul is commanding us to do here when he says, make the best use of the time. Don't wait for the darkness to grip you so that you fail. Scan for it continually. And so, for example, you're living your life, you're trucking along, you're doing what Paul says, you're scanning your life and you notice that you've got a weakness. Maybe it's a weakness for sexual immorality. And before the, the, the darkness grips you, and the darkness will grip you if you are not living by faith, and the darkness grips you in this area, but if you're scanning for it, if you're, if you're Looking carefully at your life as you're living, if you're constantly evaluating and reevaluating where you are in the Christian life, it's an opportunity for you to confront that dangerous tendency before it festers and grows and results in a failure. And before you know it, you find yourself partnering with the darkness, the very thing that the Apostle Paul has warned against in verses 3 through 14. The late Steve Jobs, who we all know as the founder of the Apple Company, uh, reevaluated his life at, at three points. 
really three setbacks. The first was when he dropped out of college. The second was when he was fired or forced to resign from the very company <laughs> that he had founded. And the third occasion was when he was diagnosed with cancer. He looked circumspectly at his life after setbacks. It was sort of a post-mortem approach to living your life. And Paul would have us not be like Steve Jobs, who only after a setback began to evaluate his life. Now, it turned out helpful for him in many ways. But what Paul is telling us to do here is to evaluate our lives continually in order to see where, there, where the darkness is beginning to creep in so that we can repent of it and deal with it. Look carefully then at how you live, at how you walk, as you live life. Not as unwise, but as wise. And this brings us to another answer that Paul gives about walking wisely. It's more than just simply looking carefully at your life. And that's a wise thing to do. That's what Paul says. <laughs> but, but, but here's another question. So you're looking carefully at your life. And, and you find this area where you're not walking as light, you're walking as darkness. I mean, what do you do with it? <laughs> How are you to understand that darkness? Uh, what resources do you have to actually expose that darkness and eradicate your life of it so the light will come in. We find in verse 70, the Apostle Paul is saying, therefore, therefore, in light of this command to be wise by looking carefully at one's life, Paul issues a command in the negative, do not be foolish. And in the modern, modern uh, vernacular, do not be uh, foolish is don't uh, be that guy. You know, the, the foolish guy described in uh, verse uh, 15. The, the, the foolish person uh, may be worldly wise. They may take inventory of their lives like Steve Jobs, but they do not have the ability to properly evaluate what, what they discover about themselves against an objective standard, a standard that is eternal. And I can tell you that, and, and you know this, that if you measure your life against a standard, but it's a worldly one, you get a very worldly outcome, a subjective and relativistic outcome. We marvel, don't we, at our culture. Maybe marvel is the wrong word to use. We are just confounded 
maybe that's a better word, uh, by our culture. See, I'm writing this sermon as I'm going along here. How can our culture take, not only from a cultural point of view, the traditional definition of marriage, and then we add to it the biblical definition of marriage. I mean, how can our culture take what has been a long-standing understanding of what marriage is and what marriage isn't and come to the place of now where we affirm and include marriage as being not only heterosexual marriage but same-sex marriage? We go, how can our culture mess up such a simple, seemingly clear definition of marriage like what we've been living under for many, many years and certainly is, more importantly, very clearly taught in the Bible. How can culture mess it up like that? Well, what's, what has culture done? They have evaluated marriage by measuring it up to not an objective and transcendent and eternal and true standard, but against a subjective and relativistic and temporal and man-centered standard. And we really shouldn't be surprised with marriage now being defined as, really, hey, whatever you want it to be. Now you see the danger of not of evaluating your life, but yet using the wrong standard to understand it and to know what to do about it. The wise person appeals to a higher, transcendent, absolute, eternal standard and authority And so Paul exhorts us, understand what the will of the Lord is. And what does Paul mean by the will of the Lord? Clearly he means the Bible, the revealed will of God. And we we look at a passage like Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. And what Deuteronomy 29, 29 reminds us of is this, that, there, that God does have a secret will and he only knows it and we cannot know it. But in Christ, we now have the ability to understand and to embrace his revealed will His word to us revealed in the pages of our Bibles. And listen, just to remind us of of just how wonderful, what a wonderful treasure the, the word of God is. I'll just read a passage from 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It's a very familiar passage, but one we need to keep hearing. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And I would suggest that we view this as Paul saying that the Word of God is profitable for measuring your life against it to see where there may be darkness, and to see where you are walking as light. So you look carefully at your life by holding it up to the standard, to the Scriptures. 
If you're, we won't go to this passage, but if you were to look at Amos 7, for example, it's a really interesting passage there because there, there God is speaking through Amos to show Israel that they are way, way out of plumb with God's word. And the imagery that is used there is the wall around the city of Jerusalem. And so God through Amos basically says this, take the plumb line. You know what a plumb line is? A string with a weight on the end of it and you hold it up and what you find is something that is perfectly vertical. And so through Amos, God says, take the plumb line, the plumb line of, in Amos's day, the Torah, we would say God's word, and hold it up against the, the wall of Jerusalem. And that wall of Jerusalem in Amos 7 really represents the nation of Israel, the people of God. And hold it up there and see if it's plumb. See if if it's perfectly vertical like the Word of God. See if the people of God are living consistent with the Word of God. And so Amos did that. And guess what he found? The wall was leaning to such a degree that it was going to fall And we know it fell. We know it fell in 605 and in 586 B.C. as the wall was destroyed and the people were taken into exile in Babylon. We know it fell. Why? Because the wall was out of plumb. And what Paul is encouraging us to do here is, yeah, you look carefully at your life. You evaluate it as you go about. You be diligent and vigilant to do that. But when you try to understand what you have found by taking stock of your life. You do not measure it to an inferior standard. You take the plumb line of God's Word and you bring it to bear upon your life. That'll tell you where you're out of plumb. That'll tell you where the darkness is. Let's say we hold up the plumb line of God's word against our lives and we discover that we're greedy of of our wealth according to how God's word defines us. We're so greedy that we will not even give a dollar to some guy begging for it on a street corner. We We hang on to everything. And we understand God's will and we submit ourselves to it. We hold that plumb line up. He not only reveals to us that we are greedy, but he also instructs us in how to deal with that greed, to repent, to seek his grace, to seek his grace to enable us to be generous and to serve him and to bless others with with our wealth. You see, the wise person continually looks carefully at his or her life by holding up the plumb line of God's word to it to see where he or she lines up or where he or she doesn't line up to see where is the darkness in my life and the wise person responds to that dark place by understanding what the will of the Lord is in light of that well here's the second point be spirit filled <clears throat> my now this is going to I don't mean for this to sound prideful please, please understand but but my my problem is not understanding the will of the Lord. <laughs> uh, 
and I think it's probably true of most of you, if not all of you as well. I mean, you know, we may wear ourselves out trying to figure out the, the, the secret will of God, but, but what Deuteronomy 29, 29 reminds us is that what God has revealed, He has revealed. In other words, there's so many things. I mean, the, the duty that God has set before us is just clearly given to us in uh, His Word. And what the, what the odd thing is, is that so often we, we try to figure out the day and the hour of Christ's return, trying to figure out the secret will of God, while we fail to do the simple, clear things that God has told us to do in His revealed will, like love our wives, like love one another, like, like even love um, the sinner, love God. You see, my problem is not lack of really understanding so much of what God has called me to do, I clearly understand, unquestionably. Here's my problem. Failing to seek the Spirit. To live according to what God's will is. You see, the Spirit is the power source for understanding, it's the, and it's the power source for actually living the Christian life. We are to live under His influence, is what Paul tells us. Look at verse 18. It's, it, it's another command in the negative. Do not get drunk with wine. I, I must admit to you that, that I, I remember my days back, back in college when I really was toying around with, with the darkness, and the, the chief way that I navigated just the difficulties of my life in college was that I also uh, toyed around with uh, drinking my sorrows away. And maybe there have been some of you, maybe there's some of you here today that have also had that experience. Here's what I did. I discovered this, this escape of drinking my sorrows away gave me only a very short moment of relief. And when that drinking my sorrows away escape moment was over, every single one of those sorrows that plagued me and that led me to drink was there in full force even worse. When we are under the influence of substances, our natural inhibitions, our sense of right and wrong, our judgment, our physical ability, our restraints are all dulled. And to sum it all up in one word, we lose self control. And Paul says that what results from that is debauchery. And have you ever, debauchery, have you ever looked at that word? I mean, it's a, it's kind of a hard, kind of a nasty word. But do you know what the root of it is? Salvation. But yet, the root is a fix with a prefix that means opposite. 
opposite salvation. What debauchery really is, is something that is void of any, any, any saving benefit whatsoever. Any redemptive content whatsoever. It's a really powerful word to describe the very opposite of the benefits of salvation. Debauchery. That's what results when we try to utilize alcohol or legal drugs or illegal drugs or whatever it may be to dull the pain, the difficulties. And the case in point is the opioid epidemic in our country. That there are scores and scores and scores of, of, of people who are in darkness and this is the only resource they have to deal with the darkness is to drink, smoke, pop a pill and dull one's sorrows away. And one way to look at this is to see drunkenness as, as a result of living under the influence of the flesh of our sinful nature. Paul in Galatians 5, 19 through 21 really describes being under the influence of our sinful flesh. We could say being under the influence of, of darkness. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, robberies, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and these things like the and things like these. I warn you, as I warn you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of of, of God. So going to a bottle, going to a joint, going to a pill in order to dull the difficulties and the sorrows away is rooted in darkness. Is saying that my only hope is to just dull the pain for a moment. But dear believers, Paul encourages us with a superior source to navigate these evil days, even the evil that still resides in our own heart. And as we look carefully at our lives and we wisely evaluate our lives up against the standard, God's Word, and we find places where we're out of accord with godliness, what do we do with that? Do we try harder? Do we go to the bottle? Do we pop a pill? Our best efforts cannot bring us into plumb with God's Word. But there is one who will, and it's God the Holy Spirit. Thus Paul says, don't get drunk with wine that only leads to debauchery, but be filled with what you already have as a Christian, the Spirit, come under His influence. And what's interesting is what does being drunk with wine result in? A loss of self-control. What does being under the influence of the Holy Spirit result in? More self-control. And Paul points this out in Galatians chapter 5. After having talked about the works of the flesh and all, that list of all of that, that darkness, he now comes to verse 22 where he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus 
have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Isn't the answer to doing, to uh, dealing with what we find when we look carefully at our life and we bring God's word to bear upon it is to seek the Spirit. And how does one come to be filled with the Spirit? Well, we know that someone who is united to Christ in saving faith is, already has the Spirit. The Spirit indwells us. But yet, because of, of the struggle that we often undergo in faith, we continue to revert back to depending on the flesh. This is what Galatians 5 is all about, where Paul calls the Christian to live by faith and don't walk by the flesh, but walk by, by the Spirit. Seek the Spirit to be under His control. That's, that's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. We already have the Spirit, but it's to seek Him, to ask Him to submit ourselves to Him. You know, earlier I used the illustration of holding the plumb line of God's Word against our lives, and, you know, and, and we discover that, that we're greedy and with, our, with our wealth. And, you know, what do we do? We understand God's will. We understand what greed is. We understand where we have, have sinned. But you know as well as I do that greed can be something that's very difficult to overcome. And in and of ourselves, we need a higher power to use that term. And that higher power is God the Holy Spirit to come and work powerfully in our lives, bringing us to repentance, empowering us to use our wealth to bless others and to honor God, to really change our way. And Paul commands us to be filled with the Spirit. Look carefully at your life. This is part of renouncing darkness and walking in the light. And be filled with the Spirit is the second Thing that he calls us to do. You know, I'm reminded of, of Jesus after he gives the Lord, Lord's Prayer in Luke chapter 11, the very last part of that section of the Lord's Prayer, where there Jesus says, you know, pray for all of these things, and, and we do, but he says this in Luke 11 verse 13, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him. And I think the number one thing that we need to be asking as we go to the Lord in prayer is, God, give me the Spirit. Give me the Spirit to enable me to look carefully at my life and actually give me the ability to, to carefully bring the plumb line of God's Word to measure my life, to see where I'm out of accord. And God, the Holy Spirit, give me the love of Christ, the po your, your power that I respond in a godly way. That's what I think the Apostle Paul is calling us to do here in this passage of Scripture. Look carefully at your life by bringing the plumb line of God's Word to bear upon it and seek the Spirit. Well, I have felt at times as though I'm trapped in a rock prison <clears throat> and it's dark. That's why when we sang Rock of Ages, it kind of spoke to me because, you know, when I think of a rock, sometimes I do think of being entrapped 
And so sometimes I think I'm in a rock prison and I'm trying to get out. It's dark in there. I want to try to get some light in. And so I take my little hammer and my little chisel and I'm just chiseling away, <laughs> trying, to, trying to chisel my way out of this solid rock. Let's be clear about it, entombment, right? It's a grave. And I just chisel, chisel away. And you, you know what results? Is dust. Just dust. And it's dust that just keeps being moved around. And maybe you feel that way where you have identified an area of your life where there's darkness. And you've tried to repent and you've tried to say, God, I'll do better. And you, you, you've, you've tried so hard. You've taken your little hammer. You've taken your little chisel. You've just, go, you've just gone to work on your heart just trying to chisel, chisel out of that, that solid rock dark place. And you just create dust. Do any of you feel that way today? Have any of you felt that way? See, I think that when we do what Paul says, and we look carefully at our life, and we, we bring the plumb line of God's word to bear upon it, that we will find in some area darkness. We will find in some area like being in a rock grave trying like mad to get out and we can't get out. But the good news is this. That the way out is not a hammer and a chisel. The way out is not you and me finding where there's darkness in our life and then trying to deal with it in our own strength. The good news is that God the Holy Spirit doesn't come with a hammer and a chisel. God the Holy Spirit doesn't come with a jackhammer. You know what God the Holy Spirit comes with? To break away that rock entombment so that light can get in and expel the darkness he brings an earthquake. He brings the power of heaven to come upon you and upon me and to literally break open that hard and dark place that all our effort with that chisel and hammer could not break. That's the promise of the gospel for you and me today. And I know there are those of us here today that are struggling with darkness. And I know there are some of us here today that may be about to go into a dark place. And I know there are some here today that maybe are just coming out of a spell of darkness. And the good news that Paul gives us here today is that as we look carefully at our lives, as we measure our lives against the plumb line of God's word, as we find the dark places, we don't need to turn to the bottle. We don't need to pick up our hammer and chisel. Here's what we need to do. Ask for God the Holy Spirit to break us out. To bring his power to bear 
upon the darkness that's gripped us, no matter what the darkness is. To be free in order to live and to serve Him. You see, it's the Spirit that is the power that brings real change in our lives. Look carefully then at how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Be filled with the Spirit and walk with your head held high as a child of light. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this encouraging passage of Scripture that reminds us of of the powerful resource that is available to every believer that we might renounce darkness and walk in the light. And so we ask, O God, God the Holy Spirit, fill us afresh, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.